Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Really, before anyone starts raising capital outside of partnering with a trusted person, I think it's really important to do it yourself and learn at least for your first deal, be able to say, yeah, I've done that. I understand it and kind of go through the process. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Michael Gilman. Michael is joining us from New York City. He is the founder of Cross Mountain Capital, a vertically integrated sponsor focused on value add deals in New England and the Mountain West. He is a GP on over 600 units. Michael, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Hi, Asher. I'm great. Really excited to be on. Michael, glad you're here. Before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Just I'll try to keep it short and kind of let you drive the questions uh, if you want to prod into it. But started my career as an attorney in investment banks was specifically investment-minded and looking around for asset classes to invest in. And it, it was nice working on Wall Street because you got kind of an inside look at all the asset classes, at least in my position, I was on the legal side. 
So I really had a chance to explore asset classes, business lines, and kind of came to the conclusion, especially having it happen to my parents, that stocks were not what I wanted to focus on, just the volatility in terms of their kind of just prone to corrections. I felt like I was affected by that growing up. My parents had a large nest egg. And looking around, it just seemed like real estate was one of the safest bets. So about 10 years ago, I started investing just with my own capital. My strategy at the time was just to build up cash flowing assets and just cash flow to replace my, my salary one day so I could do real estate full time. So it was kind of a simple minded strategy. But what I started with, so that took me up to New England, to Vermont, where I found 10 plus cap rates with incredible value add, all mom and pop type stuff. So just started building my own portfolio and was watching other markets to get into for a while, especially markets I like to visit. Utah, Colorado, stuff out West. But it was always kind of tough being in New York to penetrate there. And especially the years before COVID stuff was just super competitive. So then COVID hit and I decided it was time to really expand in a big way when the Fed lowered interest rates. I saw this kind of song before with the cycle and you really want to follow what the Fed is doing a lot of the time. So if they're easing, you should be buying. A rising tide lifts all boats. So it'll lift all asset classes, but kind of the value add opportunistic strategy really seemed to make money regardless of my market cycle. So anyway, we focused on finding an off-market deal at that time and landed in Denver. We were able to get a really good deal under contract. We worked with a partner that specializes in off-market deal flow and they have state-of-the-art analytics, co-star ERD type stuff. It's called an offered OFF ERD, but anyway, they found us a nice little nugget. It was a 54 unit. And then that was our first pooled capital deal. That was about two years ago. We executed on the business plan successfully ahead of projections and we were kind of off to the races and really focused on scaling across the Colorado front range right now. Love your story. A lot of questions. When you were on Wall Street, was real estate so far ahead of other asset classes or was there something else still in the running? Well, in terms of investing, I'd say from my perspective, when you look at the sum total of the tax benefits, the ability to transfer 1031, use a DST, it seemed like that was not available elsewhere. And then I'd say a big drawback is the liquidity. And what's remarkable now is I think that's the last asset class to get digitalized and to get liquid. And it's slowly moving in that direction. And certainly I feel like there's been a ton of commentators spoken about it and so on and so forth. Yeah. Michael, out of curiosity, do you still invest in stocks? I personally don't outside back when I had my W2, I had a 401k. Yeah. So that's just still sitting there. But for me, maybe if the market cycles, we might be coming to a point, but I just haven't really looked at it or bothered to analyze it. We're just too busy with real estate. Yeah. I think it's rare that you find real estate people that also are heavy into the market. So you started out in the Northeast and you had very high cap rate properties. Were they in multifamily? Yeah. My first deal was a 20 unit uh, that I found. It was an interesting story behind that. I didn't know where I wanted to invest at the time. Just knew I wanted something safe, something super cash flowing. This was on the back of the financial crisis, 2010. But just wanted something that I could clip a coupon. And especially because I had a full-time job, I couldn't really devote much energy to property management. And one of the problems I found out there 
which I later learned was there's just no good property management. I don't mean to insult anyone, but in terms of institutionalized, data-driven stuff you see in major markets, forget about it. It's it's like a frontier market in a lot of ways, at least the areas we invest in. So we kind of ended up having to build that out. But anyway, just going back to it, we started with a 20 unit and just started buying up whatever was available that kind of fit the underwriting. You've been saying we a lot. Did you start out with partners or a partner or did you start out solo at first? I started out and I guess with my wife, she helped me on the property management side when I had my W2. So that was instrumental because there's a lot that you have to oversee. And especially we started self-managing right out of the gate. How are the returns on that property, the 20 unit? It actually remains the best performing property in my portfolio. I never want to part with it. And you got to produce your track record sheets in terms of investors. I'm always proud to point at it. In terms of overall value, it's it's small, but really proud of that one. Just a story of, and even though I wanted to invest in Vermont, I just had to filter up kind of on LoopNet and just was underwriting stuff every day and stuff just wasn't penciling out. And I was using these basic cash flow rules. So these days we can really tightly model stuff at low cap rates and execute on the plan. But back then I was just really wanted a really wide spread between my cost of capital, my financing and the day one cash flow. Then one day this asset popped up and it just penciled out and I went to see it. Uh, I kind of just felt right. So just All right. I'm dying to know how good are these numbers? So you have to imply an exit, right? So you have to value it. You have to imply an exit. So if you're talking about that, I'd say it's well north of 150 IRR, well north of that. I can't even remember. It might even approach 300. I had my analyst model it out. We actually had a blog post on it. So I, that's kind of the definitive number, at least when I had an analyst look at it. But part of the thing is it's, it was hard to model because I used a lot of leverage. So we tried to model it out as if I put in 20% cash, but in reality, I only put in about 5% at that time. Did you raise the money or did you just get favorable financing? I got a commercial loan for 75%. And then I had a HELOC and I put that on top of it from another property that I was living in at the time. All right. So really it's your own capital that you put in, even though it was leveraged capital. It's not like you're borrowing from investors that you have to pay a higher rate of return or give them equity. So congrats on that deal, man. You did that. And then I loved what you said. I started looking for property in places that I like to visit. What a great idea. (laughs) So the Denver property, you said it was off market. How did you find that? Take it back about two years. I saw what was going on with the markets. I felt the time was right. Maybe there'd be some distressed sales. Certainly that didn't materialize, but I felt like there'd be enough dislocation and especially with... the liquidity being pumped into the system that it would send asset prices soaring for years to come. So I hired this firm offered to just bang on the doors. They specialize in going direct to owner. We essentially hit every heavy value add property in my buy box. And they found something I'd say within three months of starting the campaign. How many units in that property? That was a 54 unit. What was the purchase price? It was about 8.8 million. And did you raise capital for this? We did. Equity raise was a little north of 2.2. And is the we at this time still you and your wife? No, she kind of just stayed within the property management side, focusing on that. And 
keeping that property management and construction side running. So this is more with essentially my own uh, endeavor when we have various partners on the deal. So on this deal, we partnered with actually offered who found the asset. They liked it so much. They said, hey, can we be a co-GP and help you raise? I said, sure. It's our first raise. I'm sure we're going to need all the help we could get. It was a tough one. That first raise, it's difficult. Having a law degree and Wall Street background, I found it pretty tough, especially in that time period with COVID and people were super uncertain, but we got it done and off to the races after that. What are some of the things where it would have been easier for you to raise capital? I'd say the underlying issue was I was coming into a new market. I had my little track record in New England. This was a much larger deal, a much different market, and especially with value adds on execution. So it's important to be able to show a track record with a certain team. So that was tough for us in Denver at that time. Through that deal, I met my partner, Phil, who I've partnered on since then for the construction and the property management. It was great learning that business growing up because we were able to find someone that was a true value add in that field. And in terms of markups and coming in and, and not using it as a profit center and delivering on time. So that was huge, I'd say, is being able to vertically integrate there. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's three-hour Raise Capital Masterclass live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars twice in the last 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and real estate investors like you. You can learn more at DanaCornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to DanaCornell.com forward slash best ever and enroll today. And right now, best ever listeners, you can enroll for over $500 off. Go to DanaCornell.com forward slash best ever. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. One of the things you said is that you were going into a new market, but your investor base would still be out east. Were they apprehensive that they were going to invest out of state? Or were you marketing yourself? in preparation for taking on investor capital for the future? I kind of didn't do any of that. I didn't have an investor base. I was interning and I pivoted my career as well towards real estate. 
At the time, I was managing a $250 million residential single-family portfolio across the country. So I thought that kind of in and of itself, I'd find the deal and the capital would flow to me. It doesn't always work out that way, but I didn't really do all the prep. That's kind of preached out there, kind of just rolled right into it. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson for best ever listeners. What are you doing differently now, Michael, that you weren't doing before? Prepping to take on investor capital. So after you do a few deals, you have your friends, family, your network of contacts, but it's tough to programmatically scale. So we've kind of pivoted our business to working with professional investors, larger check writers, family offices, real estate funds, and your kind of more institutional type investors. And how does your Wall Street and law background help you penetrate those investors? I'd say the due diligence questions grew up dealing with due diligence questions from regulators or kind of the course of investigations or what have you, just being risk-minded, understanding the deal structures. But really the key on our strategy is the execution. So I could sit there at my desk all day, but at the end, what's really going to matter is, are we getting the stuff renovated? at the prices and at the speed we need to. And that really has a small amount to do with me in that it's the processes and systems we have. But outside of that, it's my partner, Phil. It's his crews. It's everything he's built up. And are you guys on track? We're more than on track, I'm proud to say. And I have a pretty robust portfolio of properties closing uh, going into year end. Awesome. Back to the Denver property, 54 units, $8.8 million purchase. $2 million raise. What's the return to investors on that deal, Michael? If you were again to imply an exit at the price we're looking to get today, right now we're building stabilized financials so we can go to market. But I'd say when we calculated it, it was about to the tune of 40% IRR, maybe mid thirties to 40%. And over what period of time was that? This would be ideally slightly under two years. Awesome. So around 20% IRR roughly. Well, 35, like I'm talking about the whole time period. Ah, okay. Got it. And you mentioned scaling a few times. What have been some of your secrets to successfully scaling? It's finding the right partner and understanding who that partner is. And it's really, like I was saying, it's the execution in our markets where I started out vertically integrated. We're able to do it ourselves pretty much. On the West Coast, we've now partnered. My partner, Phil, is a big part of the business. We merged with his property side, his construction side, that brings unit count up, the ability to command better prices with vendors, kind of being at their top tier list in terms of spend. So that's been helpful. And just outsourcing the stuff that we're not good at or is not um, something we're looking to build out. So like on the property management side, we do it in-house, but we outsource certain aspects of it, like the bookkeeping, some of the logging the tenant calls and so on and so forth. Did you get lucky and find a great partner initially, or did you stumble over some partners on your way there? That's a great question. So going back to this Denver deal, we went in with a different property manager who was going to do the renovation, but the deal closed and it didn't look like he'd be able to complete it at the same schedule and price as contemplated. Let's just put it that way. So um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. 
I, I'm from Jersey, man. I know what you're saying. <laughs> I wasn't in the best spot. So I went to market and got every contractor I could find in the area to give a quote. And I had everyone helping me. And my wife actually found Phil through, I think it was Facebook, which she's not even on anymore. I don't think. So I got very lucky there. I had 10 contractors give a bid. He was the only one that came in at the price I knew it could get done at. Just doing it myself. And he delivered on schedule, on budget, and we were off to the races from there. And now, are you guys part of Cross Mountain Capital together? Yeah, he's Cross Mountain Capital West. He oversees the construction and property management side along the Colorado Front Range where we're uh, scaling. What are some good opportunities in Colorado? I know the big cities are pretty competitive, but there's a lot of smaller towns that are coming into their day. Any advice on places where people should look? Yeah. So like you said, people aren't looking. So definitely not in maybe marquee areas where you're competing with a ton of investors. We've gone down our next deal that's uh, knock on wood closing uh, should be late August is, is in uh, Pueblo, which is all the way in the South. And we're actually seeing a lot of good deals on the market because people are scared of the rate curve, but we're building these models and we're pricing in the rate curve. And without going crazy on rent projections, just keeping them at a modest 3%, let's say, the market's cooled so much. We're seeing prices down, I'd say maybe 15% across the stuff we're looking at. And it's really penciling out really well. So I'd say there's more deals now than I've seen since I started looking for sure. What's the bottleneck for your business? Is it investors or is it deal flow? It's just operationally scaling and being able to process the deals and all the different components of it. You've got the debt side and that's a whole process. You've got equity investors and that's the process. And so just being able to scale organically and do that in a organized fashion where we're not losing our discipline. And really the key is our execution, our ability to get from point A to point B. So doing it in a way that doesn't interrupt the asset management side of being able to execute. So you can't do it too fast. You've seen it before, especially in the startup world where where I've spent a little bit of time. Yeah. Growing pains are a real thing. Yeah. Michael, what's the hardest lesson you've learned since you got into real estate? It's a really good question. I'd say it's running the business aspect of it, the process, just building that out to being able to scale up where you don't have to be involved in every side of the business. You have someone handling it and things are running smoothly and it's kind of like a well-oiled machine. We're just getting to the point where I don't have to oversee every little process, like the property management side, the construction side. It's all flowing and we're slowly getting there. So I'd say learning that part has been the greatest challenge because that's less real estate. That's less investing. That's people. That's just processes. There's a lot of pain to get there. Michael, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I think it's important to get the experience yourself. A lot of times I feel like people advocate to start writing or posting or or talking about it and telling everyone that's great. But really before anyone starts raising capital outside partnering with a trusted person, I think it's really important to do it yourself and learn at least for your first deal, be able to, uh, say, yeah, I've done that. I understand it and and kind of go through the process because there's nothing more valuable teacher than doing an experience. I would agree with that. 
Michael, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. All right, Michael, what's the best ever book you recently read? Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. That was a really good book in terms of just approaching economic cycles from a philosophical, historic perspective, pattern-based perspective, really disciplined perspective and extrapolating lessons throughout the course of the economic cycles onto the present day. I thought it was really well done and I definitely felt like I learned a lot. Michael, what's the best ever way you like to give back? We donate to environmental causes, whether it's rainforest or we donate to protect our winters. It's an environmental organization. Lately, we have an initiative of donating about 10% of our profits to support Ukraine effort, rebuild Ukraine and help them. Michael, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? LinkedIn is probably the, the best way or Mike at Cross Mountain Capital, my email. Or check us out at our website, crossmountaincapital.com. Awesome. Michael, I got to thank you again for your time today, for being on the show, sharing your story, attorney, Wall Street, investment banking, and somehow noticed real estate was a great place to safely make a lot of money. But thank you for sharing the story about how you scaled, looking at other markets, your partnerships. Again, just a lot of great advice today. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.